Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict, and I am on a mission to help people divorce differently so they can divorce with dignity. And I'm thrilled today that my guest is Carrie Rattle. Uh, Carrie Rattle is a financial therapist and coach. She's the founder and CEO of Behavioral Sense LLC and CEO of Stopping Over Shopping. She's a 30-year veteran financial executive with lots of letters and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm going to just say that Carrie built Behavioral Sense to help women write happy endings to their money stories. And I think, Carrie, welcome to the show, first of all. It's really a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you. I so admire what you stand for. Oh, well, thank you. And I, I, one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you on the show is your focus on women and money and helping women in particular get in control of their finances and their financial futures. Mm-hmm. And so what is it that led you to found and build Behavior Sense and get focused on women and money in this way? So I actually pretty well grew up in financial services, and I worked with women as individuals. I worked with women as business owners, and I knew over and over they were so incredibly capable and so incredibly smart, and yet when it came to money, it was such a foreign, uncomfortable area for them, and so when I reached a senior level at Wall Street and thought, okay, what do I do next? I really wanted to help women with this because there are systemic myths still perpetuating out there that separate women from a good relationship with money, regardless of how smart they are. And, you know, we have to fix that. All right. So I know that you have this idea that there are five unique hurdles that separate women from a good relationship with their money. And I'm hoping that we can, in the next 25 minutes or so, get through all five. But first of all, why is that important for people, for women, men, lawyers, mediators, people in the world, to understand where women might be coming from when it comes to money? Yeah, it is. Divorce is so incredibly difficult to begin with for both parties, for everyone involved. It's rarely pleasant. But in addition to that, If you've got a woman who's sitting at the table in mediation or collaborative divorce or whatever, it's super easy to pass judgment and criticize and think, why didn't she learn about her money earlier? Now that she's getting divorced, she has to learn about finances, and it's like drinking through a fire hose, right? It's crazy. And very smart women can be paralyzed in the decision-making process, which doesn't help you as the lawyer, certainly doesn't help her partner in the situation either when you're trying to negotiate these things. So it's really important to understand that these women are fighting against walls of fear and shame and social assumptions that 
you know, men just don't have to break through. It's a lot. And so passing judgment just isn't the way to work it. Okay. And so I think what you're saying is that women come from a place, and maybe not all women, but often where they don't feel mastery and haven't been educated in the way that men might have been just because of cultural expectations uh, yes. that are built Ab- into, into that. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, it starts with parental beliefs. And, you know, I'm going to talk a bit about the princess syndrome, which unfortunately is alive and well, and uh, media, and assumptions that women don't do math, and then financial jargon. And your suggestion, Catherine, around, you know, starting with the parents, right? Every parent has money beliefs. And so whether you're a spender or a saver, you believe money is status, you believe money is security, you're going to pass some of those beliefs and behaviors onto your kids. But then there's another layer where parents may treat their daughters differently than their sons. And it's interesting. Sometimes it's in the behaviors. Like a mother might say, ask your father or your father manages the money. So when that is constantly shared, there's an assumption there that, oh, okay, men manage the money. But sometimes there's even a stronger myth in there, and that is father as protector. You know, we all meet fathers who just love their little daughters and want to take care of them and protect them forever. Well, here's a story. I have a colleague who's a CPA. So he sees people who walk into the office every day. They haven't saved for their taxes or they owe a ton of debt to the IRS. And so he knows these people were not taught how to manage their money. Well, he came to me one day. He said, listen, I have a daughter in her 20s. She works full time. She lives at home. And she comes to me every month and says, dad, I need help with my credit card because I've overspent and I need to pay it. And he said, so I need help with my daughter. And and after our discussion, I explained to him that his daughter wasn't the problem. He was. (laughs) Because, (laughs) and he took it very well. Right. Good. He loves, he Good loves that gone the other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you have to be gentle about these things, right? <laughs> you know, I explained to him, I said, listen, you know, when you help your, your daughter, whom you love very much, pay off her credit card every month. You're telling her that she doesn't have to think ahead, she doesn't have to make choices, and she doesn't have to live within her means. So this is a man in this day and age who is still teaching his 20-year-old daughter to not manage her money well, and he didn't connect the dots. You know, he's a, he's a great dad, but he didn't see what he was doing. And this is the same guy who is dealing with clients who come in having not prepared for their taxes. Yes, and so, you know, I mean, moms and dads are doing the best they can, right? But it's connecting those dots between how you really love your kids and how you teach them to grow and make them capable for taking on the real world versus tampering them or supporting them a little bit too much. And dads quite often do it with their daughters. You know, it's interesting because I think there's an assumption that if you know one thing about money, you know everything when it's not true. And and frankly, no one teaches us. There's no classes or not no classes. I think my daughter took one her senior year, but there are very little, there's very little education in our high school system about how to do this, right? Yes. And Yes. And, yeah. Sure. And, and so 
if one person in a sort of traditional, like old-fashioned family, it might be that one person brings in the money and the other one is responsible for distributing it yep. on expenses. And there's not always such a great communication between those two pieces. Is that right? That's very true. As a matter of fact, even, you know, when you, you sit down and you're talking to two people about divorcing, right? When one says, well, I manage the household finances, what does that really mean? Like, I know someone who manages the household, and yet her husband still pays the credit cards. So so she manages everything, but she still doesn't connect her behaviors and what something costs with the overall outflow out of a home. And, you know, you talk about financial literacy, Catherine, there's literacy, which is like learning the skill of looking at your money and understanding it. And then there's the ability, which is managing your money every month, you know, planning ahead. But then the third part is is connecting the dots between what your behaviors are every day and how they lead to certain expenses at the end of the month. And we must, you know, even if we teach the literacy part in some schools or in some programs, you never get to the behavioral part, which is so key for people to understand. Well, I really want to talk about the princess syndrome, but before I do that, I want to remind people that they're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 530, and we're also available as a podcast wherever podcasts are found. And I'm talking today with Carrie Rattle, and we're talking about uh, managing money, especially women managing money. Carrie built Behavioral Sense, which is an organization built around that prospect. And so what is the princess syndrome? You know, it sounds very Disney. (laughs) It does indeed, right? And and Um, what is it, and and what's the problem with it? So it's interesting. We, We understand the wonderful Walt Disney princesses of years ago, like Snow White, I think, arrived in around 1937. And she was pretty and nice and naive. And then Cinderella had a fairy godmother who took care of her, who granted her wishes. And then she was removed from poverty by a handsome prince. So she didn't really have to worry about money. And so it continued. And even in 1989, The Little Mermaid, Ariel, she was more of an independent woman, but had to give up her voice, part of her identity, to catch a man. So it's kind of the be pretty, be nice, marry a man who will take care of you message still over and over. And here's what's interesting about it. So in 2016, a Brigham Young University professor, Sarah Coyne, conducted a study with 198 preschoolers, little girls and little boys, aged five. And this is 2016, so four years ago. And she tested how much they played with little princesses, you know, like either watched the movies, role-played, or played with princesses, and did it change them if they interacted more with those princesses? And by the way, the two most popular around the world she found were Sleeping Beauty and Ariel. (laughs) So here's what she found. The more the, the girls played with those princesses, the more they became stereotypically female, which means 
avoiding getting dirty, avoiding taking risks. You think about it like building a business, learning how to invest, right? Mm-hmm. And less likely to follow math or sciences. So this was still in 2016 when women are getting out in the workforce, women are being told they can be independent, and still these little lovely Walt Disney princesses are not doing uh, young women any favors. You know, it's really interesting because I think that the princess syndrome, Carrie, goes along with what I think of as the Prince Charming syndrome. Yes. And and the Prince Charming syndrome is, you know, it's not my job to worry about money. It's Prince Charming's job. Prince Charming is the one who brings in the money and pays the servants and the castle fees and, you know, the real estate taxes on the palace, you know, and all (laughs) of that stuff. And it's my job to just you know, be the princess, I guess, and to raise the children and manage the staff and, you know, all of that sort of stuff, but not uh, delve into the uh, into the world of money. And I, I think that the Prince Charming Syndrome is also a problem, and I'm curious what you think about this, when a woman becomes the primary breadwinner, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. I think there's often deep resentment and I don't blame the woman for this. I think this is a cultural thing that we expect, and I think it's really terrible for men as well, that we expect men to know how to do this, be yes. responsible around money when they don't necessarily have the tools to do that, and there's a great deal of anger on both sides maybe when that is not what happens. What do you think about that? Totally agree. Princess Syndrome and Prince Charming are false promises, and they they perpetuate, you know, assuming that Prince Charming knows how to manage the money is not a good assumption to make, and yet, you know, that there's a lot of pressure on Prince Charming to manage the money because there's still the societal expectation more often than not that the money will be managed by the guy. But I can tell you, I worked on Wall Street. I worked with with investors. I managed my own portfolio and I talked to other guys who managed theirs. Some of them aren't very good at it. (laughs) So, you know, assuming that your male partner in this is going to be better at managing money than you is is a pretty big leap sometimes. And it's scary for the household, right? Because you want to take care of the family unit. And then there is incredible resentment when women are told that this is going to occur because then it's an unreasonable expectation if they fall in love with someone who just isn't good at that money thing. And then, you know, I saw it in my mother. I saw it in my mother's sisters. They ended up going to work and they resented it for decades, decades. But it was, it was a false promise to begin with. And it, it, but it's so hard to get over if you've been told it, you know, yeah. for years and years, right? Well, I also think that on the Prince Charming side, that oftentimes what happens is because they're expected to be the Prince Charming who provides the palace and the staff and all of that stuff, oftentimes money gets spent that's not really there. And when it comes down to what I would do, which is helping people divorce, when the women find out that this is what has, that they have nothing in the coffers, you know, yeah. to stick with our royal <laughs> uh, analogy here, that, yeah. that that is, I mean, just devastating to realize yeah. that it was all a false promise and it was built on nothing, on debt and spending of savings. 
Yes, and you know what? Part of it comes down to those couples who are still together. You know, you want to encourage them to have that money talk, and it is so uncomfortable. But these types of surprises, I work with women who who find out these surprises all the time, and it's it's shocking. And, you know, if they're older, then it's like, oh, my gosh, how do I make this up? And yet Prince Charming felt so much pressure that he wasn't willing to admit because he was ashamed, yeah. right, that that he was trying to provide for the palace and there was so much pressure to do so. There's always that balance between shame and hope that things will turn around so that the shame will disappear and quite often that that hope just doesn't come to fruition. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, but also on the podcast website, www.divorcedialogues.com. And my guest today is Carrie Rattle, and we're talking about five unique hurdles separating women from a good relationship with their money. And Carrie Rattle, if people are interested in contacting you or learning more about behavioral sense, what can they do? Sure. You can feel free to reach out to me, Carrie Rattle at BehavioralSense.com. Also, my phone number, 914-923-6081. Also, if you happen to be an over-shopper, ShopaholicNoMore.com is also a complimentary sister website, and uh, we help overspenders. Would love to hear from you guys. All right, I want to make sure we've got still a lot to go through. So tell yeah. us about these not good enough media messages that women get. So we all are very aware of the basic one, right, which is about our, our body message. There is so much Photoshopping going on, and I have yet to meet a woman who is happy with her, her own weight, even though she looks fabulous. So there's that current of undermining the not good enough, right? And there is a quotation from Buddha. What you think, you become. So if you think you are not good enough, mentally, physically, whatever, you become not good enough. And yet the the contrary belief to that comes from Gina Davis, who is one of my heroes. She runs the Institute on Gender in Media, and she says, if she can see it, she can be it. And what Gina is encouraging is that more women have a voice and are seen more often. In 2015, women were only 24% of the persons heard, read about, or seen in newspaper, television, on radio, etc. So, although we are 50% of the population, clearly we are not as important because our voices are not being heard and our stories are not being heard. Yeah, and she will also tell you that When it comes to leadership, 42% of the roles are male and 27% of the roles are female. And then female leads are only represented 9% in adventure and 24% in action. So when you think about it, what what does that say? It says, well, women aren't often leaders. Our stories aren't important. We're not good risk takers. We're not strong, brave, or capable, right? All of those undercurrent messages. So then if we're not good enough at basic things, because media is all about everyday life, 
then there's money thing that's already becoming more foreign to us because of what our parents are telling us, because of the princess syndrome, then clearly, if we're not good enough at everyday life, we're not good enough at this money thing, which is even more foreign. Wow. Okay, thanks. Gee, guys, appreciate it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot, right, to, to overcome because media is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is, and and I think that it really is, I mean, what you were talking about in terms of the popularity of the Disney princesses and this kind of combination, it, it seems like a deadly combination in terms of empowering women or even giving them the idea that they could be empowered to own their own money and, and make their own way in the world independently. Yeah. Until we see wonderful, successful movies about women building businesses or women running corporations or women being brave heroes, you know, and taking risks that change the world. Until we see more and more of those, we're not going to believe it so much because they're so rare. And what about this myth that women can't do math? Oh, and this is so crazy. Do you know that it was proven in 1989, so 30 years ago, that women are just as good as men in math. And yet, every second woman who comes to me and works with me somewhere in our program together, she will say, oh, I don't do math. It's so interesting. And here's what's really fascinating about it. 48% of all mathematics bachelor degrees are awarded women these days. And yet some of the women I work with are 35 years of age, right? So even though they're almost the same age as when it was proven that women do math as well, they still believe they don't do math. And there was a test run where women went into a math exam. Half of them were told, don't worry, you're female, just do your best because you're not as good at math. The other half weren't told anything. And surprise, surprise, those who were told they were female and didn't do math as well underscored relative to their counterparts. So even the suggestion of the fact that we don't do well in math makes us underperform and lose confidence. What yeah. a bummer. It is a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and women are so incredibly capable, uh, capable. And by the way, here's what else I will say. If you have ever counted calories, you do math. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because I think math is very comforting because at least in the math that we're doing, there are answers, right? Yeah. Like unlike yes. so many other things in the world where you might wonder, did I interpret that novel correctly? Is that what the author was trying to tell me? Or what's the proper interpretation of this historical quotation in context versus not? You know, here, there's an answer. Two plus two equals four. And that's done. That's so comforting. <laughs> yes. You know, I... I talk about how there is magic in numbers because your numbers also, when you look at how you spend your money, also shows you how you behave in life. And you can look at, gee, where's my money going versus what my values are? How much of my money is going to what really makes me happy versus other people's expectations? There is so much magic in numbers. It's, it's phenomenal. 
Well, that is a huge question, and it kind of runs into this idea of the complexity of investing. You know, I've had a lot of, you know, men who who think to their wives, you know, don't worry, you know, your pretty little head about about investing. This is really complex stuff. Well, what is it, and and what can people do about that? Yeah, so it's interesting. One guy said that to me once. Don't worry, your pretty little head, and I said. So my head is neither pretty nor little, so you need to get over that, and I'm going to worry anyway. (laughs) And that certainly stopped him, you know. So here's why the world of Wall Street is so foreign, and and here's what I do with women. There's this, you know, term that is used so often called asset allocation. And it's a term that doesn't mean much to a lot of people. So I give women a package of M&Ms. And I say, okay, the blue ones are bonds, the yellow ones are stocks, and the red ones are cash. And I have taught them what stocks are. I'll say, okay, so if you want a really safe portfolio, and you know what bonds do, and you know what stocks do, how many blues are you going to have, and how many yellows and reds are you going to have? And so we talk about that. And then they'll put together a couple of portfolios with their M&Ms and say, this isn't rocket science. And I'll say, absolutely right. It's not. It's just all the fancy gobbledygook terms that this industry uses. And it's also very male, which is no one's fault because it was built by men. I, You know, I often say if you put men in front of the cosmetics counter at Macy's, they're going to be pretty lost too because, you know, that's a woman's thing. So we have different languages, but the values on Wall Street are so counter to the values of women. You know, Wall Street is always looking for the highest return, everything that's measurable. Women are looking to build enough assets to get their kids through school, protect the family unit, and be safe. Those are sometimes contradictory. And then Carrie Rattle, I think we're out of time on Divorce Dialogues, but thank you so much. This has oh. been so great to, under, to help understand a little bit more about women and money. Thank you so much.